Hello, my name is Seth Townsley and I'm passionate about energy reduction, climate change and new technology that assists organisations reduce their carbon footprint and meet their own sustainability targets. I also happen to be the Energy Marketing Manager at Schneider Electric, the world's most sustainable business, so it's great to work for an organisation that enables you to indulge yourself in your own hobby. The UK is committed to reducing all greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050. Rapid decarbonisation across all sectors is required to achieve this target. The UK must demonstrate its climate leadership and commitment to net zero by dramatically scaling up its emissions reductions targets. So welcome to episode 3 of the Drive to Net Zero. This month we'll be discussing e-mobility and the smart home of the future and I'm delighted to announce our three guests for the podcast, Howard Porter, David Overman and Nick Woolley. Howard Porter is the CEO of Beamer, the trade body for the UK electrical manufacturing industry. He has been in post for 10 years. He is the chairman of the implementation board of the Each Home Counts Review of Residential Energy Efficiency. He has a particular expertise in energy and the use of energy, with a DPhil in the energy efficiency of housing. Nick Woolley is EV Energy's CEO and co-founder. Nick is a multi-EV owner and passionate about decarbonising the energy system. His past experience includes eight years running a web development company and three years working for National Grid, where he also spent six months working in partnership with US residential solar installer Sunrun. He loves energy networks and has a PhD in power systems. Last but not least, David Overman is the Electricity Network Director at BUUK, having held the position since 2006. BUUK Infrastructure is the leading independent provider of last mile utility networks, constructing and operating essential utility assets in the UK. With over 30,000 discrete networks serving over 1 million homes, they are the leading independent provider of last mile networks. Prior to joining BUUK, David was the Electricity Network Director at East Anglia Electric. It's lovely to have you all join me today. So I just wanted to open up a little bit. Could you, could you tell me a little bit about your careers in energy and sustainability and, and what drew you to the industry in the first instance? Thank you, Goff. Yeah, I, I first got involved in sustainability uh, actually, bizarrely, when I didn't do very well in my A-levels, you say I'm high achieving, was I wasn't at the time. And I ended up going to Northern Irish University to do environmental science, which I'd never heard of the term before. Um, I ended up uh, leaving with a PhD in the energy efficiency of housing, which is an uh, interesting way forward. So I think that's absolutely the way in which I got into this, into this space. Uh, it is a few years ago, I have to be said. Um, but I think going forward, the whole time working for BRE, which is all about building efficiency, and then for Beamer for the last 22 years, uh, it's primarily out, primarily trying to help help industry move, move in that space more. And I think it's fair to say now that all of the industry, or mass majority of the industry, also gets it. Whereas uh, I'd say 20 years ago, they didn't. I'll go next if that's okay. Um, I, I well, I I, I left uh, school um, at sixteen and joined um, the uh, electricity company at the time. Um, had no particular reason why. It was just uh, my uncle worked for them and said that it was a good place to work. So that seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, latterly within the company, I, I, I was involved with uh, the 132 and 33,000 volt networks. And uh, for, the, for those that are old enough, uh, got involved in the NOFO pro, uh, process, uh, which is the non-fossil fuel obligations, uh, which was the very first uh, start of uh, wind farms and sustainability in, in the UK and um, uh, looked at quite a lot of projects from uh, uh, distributed 
distributor point of view, um, and uh, then left uh, uh, as was Eastern Electricity then, and uh, very much got involved in the connections market and developing the connections market. So, um, and uh, uh, for those of you that know it, uh, the, the Wolsey supply chain business, UPS, I set that up originally and also got the likes of Schneider involved in, in that process. So, um, uh, which, which was quite hard because nobody recognized what, what that industry was going to be like. Um, and then went off constructing wind farms in the early 2000s around the UK, working for various um, uh, um, uh, manufacturers and uh, wind farm uh, organizations organizations at that time and again it was very new very difficult um no one completely knew what they were doing um uh, and uh, and it's certainly developed very much since then uh and then i i left there and uh, joined um gtc and set up the first of the uh idea knows um and i'm i'm sort of now dealing with that but very much involved in uh, the connections market both for renewables and demand uh, customers which um, is um, uh, really fulfilling in that respect and uh, and lastly got involved in in writing the code of practice um, that Ofgem have put in place for competition and connections and I and uh, currently I'm the chair of the uh, competition and connections code of practice um, so uh, um, in, in enjoying the um, competition side, but also recognizing now what what an important role that has in uh, in sustainability and uh, development of um, of uh, uh, EV charging and uh, and uh, the, the the solar market plus obviously still the wind wind market. Thanks, thanks, David and uh, and Nick. Yeah, great. Thanks, Seth. Um, so I think. To date, my career really has been a blend of both tech and energy. So I originally started my uh, career in technology. I ran and exited a startup, helping to pay, uh, people to trade online in the noughties when e-commerce was a big thing. Um, but as an engineer, I was always like really focused, I originally trained as an engineer, really focused on solving problems. And of course, the largest problem that the world is facing right now is climate change. Um, and so after playing around in e-commerce for, I think, 10 years or so, I realized that technology really had a big role to play in the energy sector too. And so I transitioned from internet startups across into the world of clean tech um, and was really drawn to the sector because um, I believe that a portion of the climate change challenge can be addressed through technology. Um, so I've been working in the energy sector for around 13 years. I did time uh, studying um as a consultant and then more recently co-founding ev energy which is a, a software company um playing in the electric vehicle space um and i i really i mean what drew me to the sector i suppose i really believe that growing a business right now in uh, in energy is pretty much the most um the most exciting place to be in the economy um and as an optimist i guess i see a lot of challenges but i also see a lot of opportunities and I think that's just a really fertile ground for entrepreneurs and engineers to solve problems and move society forward. Yeah, lovely. No, that's a, that's a lovely answer. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm very similar in my world as well. I'm very, very kind of 
I'm delighted the fact that I actually work in this world. I think there's something that you can, it ticks the box both Absolutely. for, you know, the working week for me and for the weekend, everything that I value, it kind of, this this is my world. And I, yeah, I really, really enjoy it. I guess just, just talking a little bit around the, the change in infrastructure. And, and when I was thinking about some questions, Dave, I kind of, you know, I, I thought about with you some of these, but re residential heating will account for a further 100 terawatt hours of power in 2050 versus today. Okay, so the demand will be stronger. So homes will have to be smarter and more connected to the network to manage the increase in load. You know, potentially residents will start to generate their own energy, maybe use electric vehicles as a form of battery storage. I think I think my, my first question is with an exponential increase in EVs, you know, potentially, you know, and the bi-directional power flow with people generating their own and storing it and selling it and, you know, consuming it and three-phase of power supply in the home. Is the network ready, Dave, for, for more complexity and an increased load as it stands today? It's quite interesting. Uh, as I say, we've been debating this uh, quite a lot over the last sort of three years. Uh, are we ready? I, th I think the, uh, surprisingly, I, I, I think the actual network itself is, is quite robust. Um, there, there, there's, there's a lot that can still be done with, uh, with the technology and everything that's in there. The bit that's missing, and, and I think you know, Nick is probably the, the guy to um, uh, sort of uh, look to in, in, in this space, is, uh, uh, is how we use technology to manage those networks. And uh, and I think I think you know I I can see things that are changing now. You know we we've got things that we've put in place with with um, uh, Schneider and, and other organisations that are the the will be the cornerstones of that technology rise. You know we've got power meters on every substation, uh, and whilst we're not necessarily using them now, we know how we can use them and we know how that can. Uh, can assist us. I think. I think the bigger challenge for me um, is how we ensure that we don't get a, a, a rise of usage uh, through a generation demand or capacity that causes us a problem on the um, uh, the distribution network, particularly at the low voltage side. So that that's the bit that I I I sort of you know the, if anything wakes me up at night is well how how are we going to give the right messages to customers to say use your electricity now but actually don't don't completely turn everything on because it's uh, it's going to uh, um, sort of uh, cause problems on the local network. Um, and similarly, I'm very conscious that we don't want to get into a, um, uh, and, and again, only because I, I, I was sort of heavily involved in looking at this uh, in, in the early days, things like Economy 7, where you you as the distributor turn people's electricity on and off, which I don't think is an acceptable process now. I think the, the customer needs to be in charge of, of what, what's going on in terms of their property. But just to turn a storage heater on at midnight and turn it off at seven o'clock in the morning doesn't feel like that's the right process to, to, to take forward. So, so I think there's um, uh, very much of the building blocks are there. Um, there's, there's clearly a lot of work in terms of bringing that technology to the fore. But I mean, we're already seeing uh, the difference that, that smart meters make. Um, and, and it's quite uh, strange because we've just got our home hub uh, working. And it's really strange that we're like, oh, I'll never look at that. But actually we do. 
and actually it does alter what what we think about doing not so much because it's the the money but it's just that visualization of what's what's going on on uh, you know uh, uh, any given time uh, in the house so um um so yeah there's uh, there's a lot to be done is three phase a, a, a solution could be um but i don't think it works for everybody i don't think a a, a a brand new property will need three phase but i do think there's a lot of properties uh where the home insulation values aren't aren't good enough um for air source heat pumps to work efficiently where you are going to need something different and uh, and three phase might be a solution there but uh, but yeah there's so so building blocks are there uh we're not ready yet but but we're, we're going down a path and i think it's um uh embracing the new technology and people that have got the new ideas with um you know ev charging ev generation is uh, is is all going to be important factors to um to build into it but um but working together i think we can definitely do it any any comments there howard at all nick just to, to add in there or? um yeah i think i, I think i would tend to agree with uh, many of the things Dave said. Um, yeah, in some other areas, I, th I think the, 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 the trick is to use a much more modern version of Economy 7. You know, Economy 7 is the one that everyone remembers if one's been around for a while. But you know, I, I chair for the government the development of standards on demand-side response, energy smart appliances, how that works. Is, is using is using modern digital technologies. I'm sure Nick is very familiar with, and I think with those systems, and particularly um, using very complete dynamic tariffs, there is both the carbon aspect of this. There is a cost for consumer aspect, and there's a network capacity issue, and I think that we're on. I believe we're on the cusp of actually modern digital variable speed tariffs to actually really coming in in volume. Uh, my house has been in part of a trial for the last 12 months um, of that, and I now use this, this fact a lot. I got a quote from my energy company who was part of the trial for the next 12 months and three quarters of the electricity, and I've got a plug-in electric vehicle as well, three quarters was an off-peak, only a quarter on-peak. Now that is very significant. There's also a 10 kilowatt hour battery in my garage, which is also an essential part of doing that. So the, there are, I think, very, yeah, some very great optimism. The problem is that many of these things are quite capital intensive for if we're looking at households here for households and householders to afford so that's something i'm working at the moment is the affordability working with the, the finance industry to see how how we actually finance these new systems that will allow dave's area to work without too much massive investment although investment is certainly required so i guess probably um Next question is around EVs then as a battery source. You say you've got a battery in your garage there. E-mobility is a battery source. Do we consider vehicles of the future as a mobile battery source for the home rather than just enable it to get from point A to B? 
Yeah, maybe I, I can jump in there, Seth, and, and take that one. So, I mean, yes, absolutely. I actually don't think that um, that distinction is quite right because I think actually they are both an enabler to get from point A to point B. I mean, at the end of the day, you buy an electric vehicle to drive. Uh, and then I also think that they can be a mobile battery source. So actually, I think we can have it all um, uh, and have both of those things as one. Um, so, I mean, on the um, as, as a virtual battery side, on the grid side, um, I mean, the fundamental challenge we're all facing off against here is that we can't store electricity. So we have to we have to balance demand uh, with supply in real time. And obviously the networks, as Dave um, was talking through, the networks have got um, have traditionally operated in a one-way power flow uh, situation where um, demand has been very predictable and you just altered supply to meet that demand and everything just works. Um, and now what we have is a network that's full of renewables that generate basically when the sun's shining, when the wind's blowing, and that's quite, um, quite random. Um, it's predictable, but it's random. And so coming back to electric vehicles, what we have is uh, a lot of these electric vehicles now with people with home chargers. So no doubt Howard's got a home charger in his house. It's a seven kilowatt device probably. So that's quite a bit of capacity. And typically what that means is that that's gonna add like a kilowatt of additional load at the household level, which to put it in context of the overall house is roughly the capacity of a house on top of a house at potentially at peak times that you are adding to the network for everybody that owns an electric vehicle. Um, so that's the challenge, but the opportunity is from the grid side is if we can move that kilowatt flexibly to any point in time to align with the availability of renewables, um, then this we do we do entirely create this big battery that you can then use and flexibly adapt to the um, to the availability of power on the grid. Um, and coming back to the economy seven point, I think what you need is that that battery to be entirely flexible and not dependent to static signals like economy seven switches on at eleven p.m. in the evening and then all the batteries on the EVs turn on because otherwise what we'll get is we'll get secondary peaks. And that'll just be, we're just we're kicking the can down the road, but we're literally kicking it down the road a couple of years and not really addressing the problem. On the, on the consumer side, so on the point A to point B, I think they, consumers also um, need the ability, they, they still need to drive cars, right? So if we don't deliver that fundamental service of getting that consumer from point A to point B, um, then um, we won't ever be able to create the, the, the virtual battery and the, the power plant in the background. So we need to absolutely always remember that we need to deliver on that key service to the end consumer. But I think if we make it simple enough, if we make it valuable enough to consumers and straightforward enough so that they don't have to think about it, then we can, we can, do, that, we can do that as well. Um, and I think that plays into what Dave was saying earlier, which is that ultimately, um, consumers need to always be in control of um, their charging or their resources, whatever they are, and they need to have the option to be able to override. And I think as, as network companies and as regulators, we need to sort of get comfortable with um, that consumers will be able to deliver the right level of response at the right points in time, while still having the option to opt out if they, if they really need to. If I can come back on that particular point, I think this is... Uh... This is a key point. It's, it's two sides. In order for this dynamic system to work, you can't rely on consumers actually for making the decisions to when the car's charged or indeed your heating comes on. 
Uh, however, therefore, it has to be automated. It has to be. I mean, I have no idea what's happening with imports of energy into the battery in my house. I haven't got a clue. All I know is I look at my display after nine o'clock and I'm importing 1.25 kilowatts. Now, but I'm not in control of that. So I think we have to be very careful that ultimately any network operator, any flexibility provider, any other company who's providing a service to the consumer or indeed the other end user has to be has to offer the consumer an out that fully explain exactly what the situation is going to be and give guarantees. For instance, if you have an electric vehicle and, and this is all down to how displays, be it on computers, iPads, displays, whatever, that says, ah, bing, today you plug your car in, when do you want it fully charged? Now, and that's the sort of thing you get now, if it, if my phone pings every time I try and spend some money, you know, it, it bing, bing, so it's something like that, right, bing, you, put, you, you plug your car in, the system wants to provide the best way of doing that to optimize it. Hmm. When do you want your car fully charged? And you say, well, uh, normally, and the system might say, normally seven o'clock. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, seven o'clock. Or, oh, no, no, tomorrow morning I have to leave at five. Boom, 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 boom. And that's, so that's the user element. So the user puts the requirements into the system, the system sorts it out. I, I guess the other side to that as well is in it going forward, how many people will actually need or, or require uh, their own electric vehicle. And I think there's, there's a big um, uh, debate that's still to be had around uh, public transport, you know, uh, shared uh, traveling. And obviously that's quite difficult at this uh, uh, sort of, uh, present uh, climate. But I think that that's a significant thing to consider because, um, you know, when you look, I mean, certainly where, you know, I, I, I've, I've become quite sad. I, I count number of cars between street lights and um, how many cars don't move uh, in in streets at times and I think I think that's that's something that as a society we're going to have to uh, challenge ourselves and and come down to say well do I actually need a car you know do I just need a car for for my two weeks holiday uh, a year you know and I can get public transport I can get other uh, other ways of getting to work getting to the shops um so the, the, there's there's a big piece there that's that's still to be um debated and 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 uh, understood in terms of what the transport situation looks like in in the future so um uh, and I, and i think all that plays into the fact of you know how how much capacity is going to be used from uh, or or uh, generation is available uh, from from uh, uh, personal cars it's an, it's an interesting one, Dave, actually, you say that. I was, I was reading up um, a couple of days ago for a report that we've done for um, um, for a press agency. I was looking at what 2030 looks like in terms of transport. And uh, and so I kind of just took the blinkers off completely and started looking at, you know, there's, there's obviously micro-mobility now, two and three-wheel vehicles. You know, if you look at large airline manufacturers now, they're looking at air mobility as a form of transport generally for 2030. This isn't 2050. This is kind of in the next... Oh, to eight and a half years time you know the fact that you know we'll have you know 
mono vehicle or mono vehicle or air mobility where you'll have your own little drone that you can fly around your city just to get around i mean it's just uh, it's um it's incredible the pace of technology the way it's changing so much and the way it's changed probably in the last two years to to where we are today it's um it's phenomenal so but, but equally you look at how many people now get um, food delivered to their house? How, how many companies are, are organized to do that? And um, so there's a lot more things that are driving people away. I mean, you, you look at the high street, you know, people don't necessarily want to go into a town and, and shop. So, you know, do, do you need that vehicle for weekend use or anything else? But, but I, th I think as well that this is going to, um, I think 2030, uh, as, as an aspiration, you know, we're going to beat it because people are moving now. You know, you can see that with electric vehicles. I mean, company cars, nobody in, is going to buy uh, a petrol or a diesel car is going to be a hybrid or all electric in terms of company vehicles because, you know, the, the price signal is there already to say, don't, don't get one of these cars. So, um, so it is driving people down down that 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 road already so i guess we'll, we'll segue now into the next topic which is around smart technologies and e-mobility i guess that the logical step that smart homes will become integrated into the fabric of the city as part of smart grid you know features such as smart appliances smart meters localized storage could be used to keep out energy waste to a minimum you know more sophisticated smart home platforms will make managing a property more intuitive the home is a place where new technology innovation are, are kind of really embraced more so than anywhere else you know you always have the early adopters uh, but the challenges along the way given the majority of houses around today will still be around in 2050 what does the smart home of the future look like you say just to open it up to the panel i think it will be a combination of the sort of connectivity we just discussed in terms of allowing the um, electric low carbon electric heating and electrified transport to work so that's the sort of technology we've just been discussing connection to the grid and who will be in charge of that commercially i think is very much up for grabs so who will be in charge Will it be the network company? Will it be energy retailer? Will it be companies like Nix? Will it be people like Schneider? I, I don't know that who will be in charge, but somebody will be managing that energy flow and managing the energy, but al almost in parallel and maybe integrated, remains to be seen, is the other technology that comes from the high, from what I call the hi-fi world or the TV world or the computer world that the consumer will be purchasing on their own. And the trick is how we connect the, the, sort of the purchases from the householder in with the, shall we say, official managing the energy system, smart tech, because they're coming from two different directions in terms of where that tech's coming from. Uh, and ultimately, I, I think want to get to position certainly in maybe in 10 years time, where again, you've got some means of, of display and you and there's somebody, somebody brighter than mine, perhaps someone in Nick's world combines all this together so that you can actually manage it properly. So you can look at your lighting, your heating, your, your EVs, bringing together those two routes of technology. I mean, I, I'd, I, I'd agree with everything Howard's just described. I think when I think about the future, I come back to the challenges we're, we're facing 
um, from a societal perspective. So the decarbonization of transport, I, I sort of feel, I mean, we're on a path now, we have a clear target, we are electric vehicles, especially for light duty transport, I mean, definitely for light duty transport, are the solution that we are going to roll out and scale out. Yes, I think there's uncertainty around the number of cars on the road that we actually have and all of those good things. But I think electrified transport will be the future. So the smart home of today with smart chargers, with smart control within the home, I think greater signals, as we've discussed from energy utilities, from networks to provide information to consumers or aggregators to then enable them to act on those um, on the, the requirements of the grid and society as a whole. I think decarbonization of transport is, is kind of on a path. I think that the big challenges are around other areas like the decarbonization of heat, where we have um, an old housing stock that we probably need to insulate more, that we also need to add more controls to. We haven't got, you know, heat pumps may sound like they're a good solution, but it's, they're, not, they're not widespread by any means. Um, and so I agree with Howard that there probably will be a platform that will emerge to control all of those assets, but quite what the mix of assets there is, I don't quite know. One of the, one of the things in the back of my mind is always that we have a great network. So like the, every house is connected to an energy network. So we probably will still be relying quite heavily on that, that energy network to give us, give us power when we need it and help us to balance our own individual requirements. Uh, which probably Dave has some th some thoughts on. Um. Yeah, no, I I, I agree um, <laughs> wholeheartedly. It's a it's a a, a nice Monday morning because we're all agreeing with each other. But uh, um, the uh, as I say, the big thing for us now is is to 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 drive down the the the, the knowledge and the information to to the, to the LV networks to be able to say you know, this is, this is what's happening. This is, there's, there's uh, capacity in here that you can do things and, and pass that through. I, as I say, I don't think that's us. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a Nick type organization that, uh, that, that needs to embrace that with the technology, but, but, but we need to give them the, all the key signals, all the key information to, to understand that. And, and to be fair that, you know, the, the algorithms that, that need to be uh, designed, you know, you can uh, think of them now, um, but there's more technology coming along, you know, the, the washing machines, the freezers, um, everything else that, that within properties that, um, that, that, that take uh, uh, significant loads can all be, programmed i mean you know we, we do that manually at the moment if, if if there was a process that i can say right i want to turn this machine on and i want to make sure that you know the washing's uh, sort of finished by seven o'clock in the morning so i can put it out on the line or uh, i can do that now but it, somewhere along the line i need to be able to to tell the machine that actually i don't mind what time you wash it it just needs to be ready for to come out of the machine at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, and and that that that's the key, you know, and and, and as Howard was saying, you know, if it, if I want it, the washing to come out at six o'clock in the morning for for a particular reason, or I want my car to be charged by five o'clock in the morning, um, that's that's the 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 process I need to go through, and the apps and everything need to be developed to do that, and and there's that the, you can see it's already starting. Uh, and and there's you know very very bright people that will put these things together 
but they need you know we need to be talking to them to say okay so what actually do you want from us you know what, what do you want to know do you want to know network capacity do you want to know you know what what usage is going on at any you know half hour do we want it 10 minutes you know, we need to understand uh, exactly what what uh, can be done. I mean, some of the technology that we've been putting in, you know, for 14, 15 years is 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 sitting there ready to to allow some of those things to happen. Um, but but you know, in truth, I don't know what it is that that people will need to be able to 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 go to that next level. But it but we can achieve it, and it's uh, and it's really really exciting. You know, I, I, I'd have never thought this, you know, I, I, I've put uh, networks in for far too many years now, but, uh, you know, and I'd never considered, um, you know, 20 or 30 years ago that, that someone would need to know what, what a cable that I own is doing. And now it's an absolute given that they do need to know because that, that's the next step of uh, development and get into net, net zero. I guess the only thing that I would add to that is we need to make sure that we've got the um, uh, we can take all prosumers, consumers, you know, customers along the journey because I think there is a danger that 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 um, this this is could be quite expensive and we need to make sure that everyone can go along the journey and and see the benefits and and get the reward of uh, of giving the the, uh, uh, the the world a net zero um uh, situation i had a i had a, a nice chat with howard um probably about two weeks ago and he, and he inspired me he doesn't really every time i see howard he always inspires me um i think previous to that you know i saw him present about 10 years ago and he kind of did an amazing job so it's one of the reasons why he's on the on, on the call today but he's uh he inspired me to go out and i bought a couple of fruit trees so my back garden so so in terms of and this is where i'm going with it carbon carbon capture carbon containment so i thought well first of all i've got to you know i've got to talk about sustainability plant some trees in my back garden that'll that'll decarbonize it'll start a, a journey of decarbonization things within the within the home but uh, i'd like to explore with you what what other types of technology should consumers be looking at you know to decarbonize their homes outside of planting obviously plum trees and and how does that differ between old and new dwellings would you say uh, maybe if i can kick off here yeah i think new build if the regulations and this comes down to building regulation if the regulations are right new build properties can be zero carbon full stop and there's a number of ways one can achieve that and particularly and this is something i think is going to have to be grasped with fairly soon if you have that new build or indeed an existing build and you sign up to a zero carbon variable tariff, I think all variable tariffs are going to be zero carbon from zero carbon um, sources. Right. Am I really zero carbon? Because I'm still using electricity. I'm still using some heat. I'm still charging my car, assuming you've got a plug-in car. Um, so I think new build can be zero carbon, depending how the imported energy is treated in terms of zero carbon. I think for existing buildings, it clearly is more challenging. And I think Dave mentioned the need for uh, an enormous investment in, um, in housing, in terms of insulation levels, in terms of making them, quite frankly, better. But maybe even 
demolition of a few of them. That's very difficult and emotive sometimes. But there are some buildings that just you can't make better. And but when we get the technical solutions in existing buildings, will have to be different. And it is, I think, a challenge. I think Nick mentioned heating. I'm particularly been involved in heating for far too long to, uh, and I'm fact I've we've got a house up north which where I'm going up um, to to manage the installation of a heat pump uh, from tomorrow or Wednesday onwards. Um, now that's in a 1930s house. Um, we're going to have to think how best to do it, but technology is also improving to do that. But we have to accept that in the existing buildings, there has to be a major investment. There has to be a change to how buildings work and there'll be a massive resistance to that. But it, it has to happen. But new build is easy. If the regulations are in, in place, existing build is much more difficult. But I think, and I mentioned the private finance industry before, the private finance industry is absolutely vital to be able to provide the low-cost low loans over a long period of time to really get those investments going. I think as well, uh, just just uh, supporting what Howard was saying, you know, we, we, we're connecting uh, new build sort of every day. I, I don't foresee any particular issue with air source heat pumps going into uh, the, the, the type of property that's being built today and probably will be built in the next five, 10, 20 years, because it's only going to get better in terms of uh, uh, energy efficiency in the property. Uh, you know, go back to the, the, it's the old housing stock that I think you know, is the elephant in the room that uh, uh, we're not really dealing with. I, I, I'm not sure if people have picked up, but um, you're not going to be able to buy oil, uh, oil fired boilers uh, in the next few years. And, in, and certainly in a rural area uh, where, where I am, I mean, uh, again, <laughs> spent a lot of time walking around uh, uh, the, for the last few few months. And uh, uh, you, you see a lot of properties that have got oil, oil tanks. And when you look at the electricity network around them, it's generally overhead, you know, it's single phase, split phase, you know, it's, it hasn't got the capacity that you will need to um, use something like an air source heat pump in a, in a poorly insulated property. And, and equally, you know, and, and Howard mentioned it before, you know, to do all of this is capitally intensive, you know, and, and for a customer uh, uh, who, who lives in a rural area um, that's, that's got to insulate the property by an, a, a, an air source heat pump um, and then utilize all of the other technologies that are coming along is going to be expensive. You know, as I say, new housing, will look after itself to, 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 to a greater or lesser extent. You know, I mean, there's, there's work still to be done and everything else, but, but it's, it's, it's nowhere near the difficulty level that, that, that you're going to see in, in existing housing stock 
And for those customers, you know, that is going to be really expensive. So, you know, we're in danger of leaving people behind in, in that respect. So, so we do need to think about how we do that in terms of regulation, support, aid. You know, we've seen the Green Deal. Um, you know, maybe that needs to be um, set up differently to, to allow people to, uh, to get to the, to the right stage. And, uh, you know, as Howard said, maybe some houses are going to have to be knocked down and, and new houses built. Um, so so there, that, that, to me, is the, the bigger challenge uh, to get to 2050 and net zero. I guess probably from, from my part now, I, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing changing culture now. So, you know, early adopters, you know, Nick, Howard, myself, kind of, you know, we, we, we've got out, we've got our EVs um, and we're seeing, a, we're seeing a cultural change now. Meet people migrating from internal combustion engines into you know electric vehicles and um, how how do you feel consumers are embracing the smart home of the future versus e-mobility is it are we still lagging behind a little bit you know how, how can you do you sense that with your customers your your your, your members around the changing culture and people are starting to adopt new energy efficient techniques within their own homes or is it still a little bit stagnant yeah maybe i can jump in on on that one great question seth i think the I mean, it's interesting, the customers that we serve, we have um, we have at the moment a lot of, I guess, early adopters in the EV space who are using our technology because they've got an EV, they get really excited by the, by the tech, they love that it's clean, they're into their smart home tech as well, and they want to be able to control and manage uh, electric vehicle charging in the home and, and, and really play with it, right? Um, I think the mainstream consumer won't necessarily, when this goes mass market in the EV space, the mainstream consumer won't work like that. They won't be interested in understanding what the agile price is tomorrow um, versus today, because that's not really, it's not really worth their effort to worry about those things. So I think a lot of the points that we've been talking through today in terms of how we get the prosumer um, uh, involved in this space, I think what we've been talking about is making a really getting a hundred percent integration of all of these smart home devices into the energy system, and giving energy networks, uh, utilities, all of those entities, all of the tools to be able to control and manage uh, things like electric vehicle charging, like heat, and all of the, all of those devices. Because we recognise that it is a challenging new world, and there are these intermittent power flows that we need to manage. But on the prosumer side, I think it actually needs to be incredibly simple so that they um, don't have to think about what the real-time price is. Uh, they don't necessarily have real-time price signals, perhaps. They may give, uh, give the uh, seed to the control of real-time pricing and the risk management, um, the risk management of that to, to some other entity. I mean, to give a tangible example happening right now, um, the Texas is obviously in the news uh, today because of the, the, the polar vortex that's swept down there. And there are some customers that are facing energy bills of like $10,000. I don't think any of those customers would have anticipated that their energy bill would have risen that much um, or could be in a position to manage any of that risk because fundamentally, if they need power, they need power. And so I think that in those, that's a great example of how there should be a layer that evolves in between that manages and obfuscates that complexity for the customer so that they can get on with their lives and not have to worry about those things. Um, and But 
as a prosumer be actually fully integrated in the in the grid with the with their loads actually being managed to the to the grid's requirements yeah i mean it, it is very interesting really how how the average householder will use tech in the future i'd agree entirely with nick but once you go outside the enthusiasts it's a whole different world and I regret this, but most people don't care about energy, clean tech. They may care about saving the planet, but exactly the technology to achieve it is it's sufficient to know that they're doing the right thing. Therefore, the system has to, back to what I said before, the system has to provide that flexibility and that clean tech. And I think the majority of, of householders if they every week got a, got a, a message on their phone, you know, this week you've saved half a ton of carbon, that's probably sufficient. Absolutely. Because the consumer <laughs> thinks, well, I, down the pub, look, oh, look, I've said, oh, look, look, look. How that's been achieved, the vast majority of consumers don't care and neither should they care. The problem is, if we encourage them to do too much, then they'll mess up the system. Uh, and just one point before I'm not Nick McKinn, the, the models now are certainly heating, heat as a service is, I think, one of the big tools in achieving heat as a service funded by, again, a company that provides that service funded by private finance, maybe some government subsidies, etc. That system, so it's likely that if one looks at, I did some analysis last week or so, in the car market, I think it's something like 90% of new cars are not bought, they're leased. I think it's that sort of order. Now, if you think about, so on one side of our future of housing with and how smartness is used, you've got your vehicle and your heating. The vehicle market is in almost entirely leased. So very, very few electric vehicles are going to be owned. I'm not going to go out and spend 50 grand for my new whiz-bang electric vehicle. I'm going to pay 500 quid a month, probably. 
And therefore, that, sim that similar mentality, I believe, will come into heating. Once we, once we get over this first tranche, and it is a first tranche of VBOTs, a year ago, there was, we were still in the handle turning for heat pumps. And it's only in the last six to nine months there's a real enthusiasm and manufacturers actually believed that government really wants this to happen. I'm not joking. It's only in the last six to nine months. And that's causing supply problems because suddenly demand's going up and everyone is, ah, hmm. But as, that, as we go beyond that first tranche, it is a first tranche of enthusiasm. People are going to say, yeah, it's going to, I need to put some insulation in my walls. I need to do this. I need to do my floors. I need, the only way I think that's going to be done, uh, and this will be integrated with smart tech, is heat as a service. So, uh, as Dave said, £1,000 a year. If you keep within this, these constraints, I can guarantee £1,000 a year, you can have heating and you can plug your car in for this many hours. And I, as an operator, I make some money out of that. It'll be marginal amounts of money, but I slice off it a bit of money for me to, to be the operator. Uh, and that is a model. And I think housing and heating has been probably way behind the other markets in terms of tech and market structures. Uh, whereas I think it has to move into the 21st century of those systems for all this to work. And again, if you look around the world, Howard, you know, there are models similar to that, in, certainly in North America. Um, you know, we've been looking at some of those heat models, which, are, again, I think I think it works. It works for, for, for the, the customers. Um, it probably even works for prosumers as well if uh, um, if they sort of take that on board. So um, so there, there are things that, that can be done, but we do need the technology to help drive that. You know, it's a it's very fairly archaic in terms of uh, other world uh, places in the world, just because you know it's, it's it's been going a long time. A bit like ready fusion uh, for for your television rentals and things like that. I think we're going to get to that situation. And and as I was saying, that with the Green Deal, that's a way of doing it. You know, and and we need to be careful that it doesn't become a, a massive higher purchase process. This actually needs to be adding value to the to those customers. So I think it's not it's not just the money people. It's it's, it's actually the uh, uh, technology people that that need to be in this space to 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 make this happen. But um, but I do I do think there's a there's there is a large market um, to 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 develop there, particularly around insulation of properties and the use of of heat as a as a commodity uh, really good fascinating that actually around heating as a service i think the model that how describes there is quite quite a quite a prevalent one i think there's an opportunity there mate can i start looking at patents in there for the future to generate a little sideline business outside of working at uh, at schneider electric now um <laughs> just just to, to off topic a, a touch here um just just to, to come up to stimulate some thoughts around this is um do you think the overall adoption of evs in the uk has been slow uh, or quick or do you think it's uh, and 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 how do you think e-mobility plays a part in this zero carbon home of the future um I, I can jump in very briefly um in terms of the speed of adoption um i think i mean we could always go faster i think what's what's um what's really interesting is if you look to other markets abroad 
board, for example, if you look to say Norway, that have that basically brought the costs down uh, for electric vehicles through subsidies um, in the market, but they brought it down to, to parity with internal combustion engines pretty quickly. And what was really interesting was obviously consumers adopted them in droves and they, they've had over 50% um, their sales uh, that are going electric. So I, I do believe that, you know, the biggest, the biggest barrier to EV adoption has really actually just always been on the on the cost side. And once you resolve that cost barrier, you consumers will just buy and adopt the technology. Because actually, in pretty much every respect, um, driving an electric vehicle is better um, than, than only an internal combustion engine. The one challenge is electric vehicle charging, but I believe we're going to address that challenge. Um, but you know, it, it, it's quicker, it's often uh, quieter, it's actually easier to drive, it's often got loads of cool tech in it as well. So I don't think it's a question of consumer appetite or consumer demand. I think the challenge has always been cost. I think the challenge has also been a little bit on the supply side that you just couldn't get the vehicles. And I think um, Howard's absolutely right that it's actually only recently that the big manufacturers have actually committed to, to going electric and I think we're at a really exciting point right now because we have basically all of the big car manufacturers who are lining up and saying, yes, we are going to sell electric. These are my models that are going to come out and this is what's going to happen. Uh, absolutely. And I, and I can absolutely turn out. I, I, I sit on the Electric Vehicle Energy Task Force and we were involved in a little bit of a, I say, the senior people within that group who have been debating the future direction now because the auto industry really has woken up. I think the the big the, the really big kickoff for electric vehicles um, was uh, Prime Minister Johnson's announcements in December. The fact putting a hard target on the sale of fossil fuel cars, I, I I can imagine within the boardrooms of the big manufacturers there was an awful lot of discussion. I'll be a few rude words said and really staring at where are we. How quickly? Why didn't we do it? And now there is a big debate. I'm in a meeting this afternoon to see how, how the direction goes in getting the involvement of the electric vehicle manufacturers, the grid operators, the smart tech operators, how we marry all those things together. But I think to answer your question, Seth, have we been quicker? I think Norway's a special case because they've basically got clean energy. So the electricity market is it's a small country, loads of clean electricity. It was pretty obvious that was a route forward. I think in that compared to other markets, I don't think the UK has done badly. I think we're probably pretty pretty average. Um, I think that one could look back and think the char the way charging was done in the UK was, in my view, not the best way to allow different regional solutions that ends up on drive around the country and it's different everywhere you go. And now the problem is how to resurrect that. But I, I, so I, th I think we should pat ourselves on the back a little bit. I don't think we're doing too badly, but it's a little bit, we're in the foothills. We haven't really seen the mass market yet. It's the foothills, it's going beyond the enthusiasts. And I, 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 mean, I tell people, my friends all the time, Howard, I wouldn't, I, I, I nearly went for an EV, but. I wasn't sure about the range. Or I live on a street. I live on a street without off-street parking. What do I do? And so, you know, it, I, I've always found out that the the questions I get from my friends um, are really indicative of because they're not experts. You know, 
someone who works for the airline industry as a trumpeter and you know people are not involved in our industry they're interested but they don't really understand and i think that what i uh, we've said in terms of heating but also in terms of electric vehicles we almost need uh, a similar public dissemination system as we had for smart meter smart energy was set up energy companies paid for it they may not want to pay for the next one but that was set up to do TV adverts. We've all sold them about having smart metering. Um, we need something similar, in my view, to really highlight to people what consumers, what options they have and how they can actually um, contribute. And things like, um, you know, I live in a terraced house. How am I going to, how am I going to charge my car? Will my parking restrictions still work? Question mark, don't know. But they, but then that means that the local, um, the, the local fuel station. When's that going to have a, a 32 amp fast charger? That's key. These things need to work together, so that my friend who just bought a just bought a new mini, not the electric mini, because she lives on a, a street, you know, without off street parking. I said, well, yeah, if the the service station half a mile from my house. Could guarantee a 20, 15, 20 minute charge. Different story. I, I do. Again, you know, not not that I own a caravan or anything, but I'm not quite sure how how that market is going to work in terms of the uh, uh, sort of drive into Scotland with the caravan or Cornwall or Brittany, um, and and I suppose that's probably one of the. The other concerns, you know, and and it goes goes back to you know the, the first adopters, you know, will will jump on this technology, and we're we're seeing that's uh, occurring already. I think it's understanding what the impact's going to be, um, you know, if, uh, whether you can tow a caravan on a Tesla. Um, I, I'm not quite sure yet, but um, but there's um, there's also uh, a situation with uh, the larger transport and hydrogen and, and what that actually means and also in terms of hydrogen uh, sort of generation uh, where EV um, and uh, potentially uh, the sort of batteries and battery technology is going to come into that because I think I think there's 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 also a, a large market there that that is as yet un, un, unknown where you could have a, a wind turbine some PV a battery and a, a water source uh, and, and creating hydrogen for uh, sort of mass transportation needs, be it sort of buses, coaches, lorries, uh, and, and also uh, sort of trains. Because certainly uh, if you look at some of the, the transport issues that we've got uh, around the UK, you know, diesel trains is, is again, is something that's going to have to be uh, uh, dealt with and, and can be dealt with uh, uh, reasonably easily, hopefully with, uh, with, with the use of hydrogen, but also the generation of hydrogen. If you can do that locally, then, uh, then that will be even better and have uh, sort of smaller storage um, for, for that, that, that level of transportation. It's, a, it's an interesting one there, Rem. David, because you were you kind of almost read my mind there. I was, it was kind of one of my questions now was around, you know, does hydrogen have a role to play in de decarbonizing the home of the future? And or do we need to adopt one one decarbonization type or go with this kind of concept of a Frankenstein's 
monster. What do you think? Hopefully not Frankenstein, but um, but I don't. I, 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 I think I think there's there is definitely more than one way of doing it, and some of the technology maybe we 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 we're we're not uh, aware of yet. As I say, uh, as we said earlier, air source heat pumps work very very well for a very uh, energy efficient property. Um, maybe we need something different. Uh, maybe there's a, 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 a some sort of hydrogen or, or or some sort of air source heat pump that has a hydrogen backup. You know, in the same way as uh, the electricity works uh, for new housing. And so that 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 there's a number of things like that that, that could could become uh, come along as a, a the, that sort of hybrid, particularly for the older properties. I think the, the problem, I, I also sit as an advisor on the government's future of heat panel as well. So some things I know I can't actually share at this point, but we're waiting for the, the future of heat and buildings, which should be out. It's going to be this month. We've got to get on with it um, or next month. But I think within the next eight to 10 years, it is unlikely that there'll be significant amounts of zero carbon hydrogen. Because there has to be, I mean, if it, if it comes, then great. Because if you can get zero carbon hydrogen, that's, that certainly helps. I think in the areas that Dave has mentioned, where you need high power, um, trains, trucks, buses, it's fairly obvious. But a number of uh, commentators make, well, as soon as you have zero carbon hydrogen, there will be shipping needs it. Industrial processes will need it. The big debate about steelmaking: do you do you open a coal a coal mine in Cumbria specifically to allow steel to be made, whilst we wait for hydrogen to come along to get high temperature burning? So there's a bit open question which I, I do not have the answer to. But when you have zero carbon hydrogen available in mass scale. Is, is the cost going to be appropriate for end consumers? Because the shipping industry need it, the trucking industry will need it, the train industry will need it. Uh, and I think probably, uh, certainly with the next eight to 10 years, I think we have to go along the route that we've discussed in this, in this webinar, electrification. If at the end of that 10 years, there are alternative solutions, fantastic, fantastic. But we're going to need the electrification as well. So it's not, it's absolutely not the case we can sit on our hands and wait, ah, hydrogen's coming. We're okay. We're okay. We need to do as much as possible in the next eight to 10 years to see what, what advances that we've actually achieved. And if hydrogen comes in, it's tested for heating, it's tested and it works and the financing is, is, is correct, then we have a dual system going forward. Fantastic. But we can't wait around for it to happen. I guess probably um, the, the, the final element of the conversation I want to talk today is around is around policy and legislation. So, um, you know, the government's launched its energy white paper at the back end of last year. The UK is hosting COP26 uh, this November in Glasgow, and it's clear that the national standards and outcomes will dri drive behaviour and give business confidence to plan and invest. Uh, I guess probably an emotive uh, question really to start with this, but do you think the government's policy for net zero homes is strong enough? Is there anything else we can do to stimulate um, growth in this in this area? Again, quite an emotive conversation. I'll just open it up to the floor. Um. I, I could comment very briefly on 
I suppose the EV aspect. So I think uh, Howard's made some really good points around our or the UK's leadership around the 2030 um, ban on petrol and diesel sales. I think that is actually world leading as a as a policy target. Um, it's also great to be able to talk to people in the US, in Australia, and talk to people about a policy that actually genuinely proud of and it's that's a really great target that we're moving towards i think also the government's been quite um supportive of the rollout of electric vehicle charging um of the rollout of smart technologies as well in fact pushing forward with like um legislation to support the rollout of smart chargers across people's homes and stuff um however i sense that i also sense um that you know this is a really big challenge we're trying to grapple with here although 2030 banning petrol and diesel sales sounds great. We're, that means we're still gonna be emitting carbon emissions up till 2030 and beyond as the vehicle stock winds through. And then you have to remember that transportation is only one, uh, one component and the rest of the smart home like heat is also there that we need to work through. And I think we need to really meet the challenge. We need to, we need to be firing on all cylinders and pushing forward across, across the piece. Um, I guess Howard and Dave can probably comment more on the um, the rest of the smart home elements. I think what Nick has just mentioned in terms of the, the aspirations are great, certainly in the last three, four months. The aspirations are fantastic. However, when you come down to the actual practicalities of do we have the policies that actually make this work? Now, if I was talking to a government minister, uh, Lord Callaghan, we had a we had a, a call with him a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're consulting. We are about to issue. There's, I think, something like 15 consultations related to the white paper are due early in the 20, this year, 2021. Well, we haven't had any yet. We're coming to the end of February. Um, there's an awful lot of detail has to come in. We are usually very critical of building regulation, building regulations seems to be miles behind the policy level. So bays are really ambitious, really ambitious, but building regulations, well, we're not sure we can change them that quickly. But building regulations are the only way new build housing or indeed uh, refurbishment of housing will be done to the high levels of energy efficiency needed. So 50-50, the ambition's great, but I, my view, and certainly our members' view, is that it hasn't yet translated into real on-the-ground policymaking. And I think Nick, Dave mentioned the Green Homes Grant or voucher scheme, um, which has been criticised, um, because, but it was always going to be a short-term fix because that was not part of a long-term um, subsidy approach. It was a short term, get the economy going uh, after COVID. And it was two billion pounds in about six months. And one or two commentators, including myself, said, I don't think there can any hope of spending that money. So that was a little bit, well, but what we need now is a long term change in policy in terms of the regulations. And this, the classic stick and carrot approach you know make the regulations tighter and provide carrots to allow people to do it because without that the aspiration whether it's electric vehicles or heat are not going to be bad okay 
I guess sorry, really great answer there, um, Howard. I guess probably my my, my question I'll, I'll point it at David is around, you know, BUK largest IDNO ICP in the in the UK today. You've got you know you've was it a million points uh, connections to new homes in the UK? Well, that's what you've applied in there. Uh, how do you think house builders and developers embrace the concept of of smart homes and buildings? And any mobility in general. Well, I, I, I think you know, go back to Howard's point that, that they're following the 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 the, the building regs, yeah. You know, and if the building regs say you build to this, then that that's what they do. I mean, you, 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 they're, 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 those businesses, you know, much like lots of business in 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 the world, are there to make money. So um, if they don't. If they don't need to do something, um, they probably won't do it. Yeah, you know, and there could be there could be some concepts uh, that, that that come along um, in in the next few years that could change that. But I think going back to what Howard was saying, the building regulations is is, is what they build to. So if the government doesn't change the building regs to say you will do this, um, then they don't do it. I mean, you just look at what what you know, happened uh, in, uh, with Tony Blair with uh, uh, lighting. Um, you know, everyone was up in arms about you know, incandescent bulbs, you know, LED, this is a terrible thing. I mean, it, 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 that has been a fundamental changer. Um, you know, and we, we've seen that with, uh, you know, the, the, the loss of 100 watt bulbs and going to LEDs a, a fraction of the, the wattage for the, for the same lighting. Um, and that technology was driven by the fact that, um, or that change was driven by the fact that government changed the policy to say, you will not make any of these bulbs anymore or, or sell any of these bulbs. And industry took it on and have actually you know and if you looked at what light bulbs look like um so at the beginning of that to, to what they do now uh, is quite a phenomenal change and that's all been driven by by having the right policy in place i think the other thing just to sort of add on is that you know going back to the fact that it's not necessarily the the new housing um, that that's going to be the issue. I mean, yes, they can make it better, and uh, I'm sure there's uh, there will be uh, changes in 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 the way that things are done. It, it's looking at that existing housing stock and taking the appropriate action when you can. So, for example, you know uh, we're seeing a lot at the moment about cladding being taken off of properties, which will reduce their insulation levels. Well, actually, what is the process to not only put better cladding on, but actually uh, have better levels of insulation in that cladding? Um, or do we take the buildings down and, and put something up that, that's more state of the art? I mean, we, we see properties, uh, certainly in, in London, uh, where sort of high rise properties where people are now cooling, uh, uh, crying out for cooling, not heating, because the insulation. You know, the thermal efficiency of the buildings are so good, you know, within a block of, uh, of apartments, uh, you don't need heating. Most people rely on next door heating or, or, or their uh, fridge freezer heating, heating up the house. You know, it, it, that, that, that's the level that we're getting to, but you need to get that back into some of the uh, properties that, that have been built over the last sort of 40, 40 50 years. Thanks very much for that, David. I guess from my, my final question to, to close out 
today is you know we've talked a lot around kind of you know um a willingness to to adapt to new technology and things and I, I guess probably how can the transition to net zero homes be more inclusive and address all housing types and not just those for the ability to 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 pay for these technologies how can we how can we roll this out on mass across the uh, the country and, and indeed around the world i've mentioned before i think the combination of different um, commercial models, private finance. Um, I think also within the business community, much more uh, collaboration between, I mean, if we look at the other three people on this call, we've got you know, a networks guy, a tech guy, and a guy from Schneider. Well, basically all of those technology companies need to work much better together. Now, I'm not saying you don't now, but you know, that representative needs to work together and 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 decide who what the role is and how the roles play because the typically where we are in terms of the structure of our industries is in the old analog world the setup in the analog world if we were if if we were putting together not that we do put together but if the if the energy system and the different players was put together within a digital world, you wouldn't do it the way they're set up at the moment. So it's a case of how, how the different players can really work together and really collaborate because we are going into a different world. It's a, it's a zero carbon digital world from a high carbon analog world. And with the greatest respect to those players in different parts of the industry, they were set up in a high carbon analog world. So I'm afraid it's a, it's a changing mentality in terms of tech, finance, and, and how industry structures are put together. I think as well, Howard, Howard made uh, a really good point earlier, and I suppose you know from our point of view, uh, if you're looking around, we're we're the ones that, that are taking private investment and build and put investing that into uh, into networks um you know be it electric fiber uh, uh water heat etc um i think government need to embrace that and 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 bring more private finance into the, into these markets you know and but using vehicles like you know nick's uh, uh, organization that has got the technology uh, side because it, 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 it is going to have to be technology led you know i think howard makes a really good point you know the majority of electricity networks in the uk are very much analog you know you've got old uh, mdis that that you know probably don't even work because they've been in sort of 50 60 years um you know the, the, there's a lot of investment that needs to be made um you know as i say we we fortuitously um, made some decisions early on within the, the company that um, that allows us to move forward um, quicker but it, it it still will need a lot of uh, investment and and um, you know government need to make sure that they they not only allow that to happen but also make sure that there's an expectation of how quickly people get their money back you know, the, 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 what, what concerns me is that, um, you know, if, if organisations have payback periods of three years, you know, the customer won't be able to afford that. If you're investing in uh, heat technology that's going into properties, it needs to be at the right 
timescale to make it affordable because uh, a lot of people aren't going to be in a position to be able to to, to fund this in the way that that that, that uh, other other uh, parts of um, uh, of the country can. Um, just just to build on all the good points, I mean, I think to make um, this technology affordable and viable to the masses. Um, I'm quite optimistic that as humanity, when we set a goal towards doing something and we do it at scale, that we do bring uh, cost benefits. I mean, a really good example of that is uh, solar over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, where the cost of solar panels, we've just we've just continued to make it better, uh, cheaper. And the cost of solar panels now is actually, you know, it's actually cheaper to generate energy using solar panels than it is to, um, I mean, absolutely unrefutably in some parts of the world and in other parts of the world it's getting there uh, than, than any other generation source. And that's, that's absolutely amazing because it gives me hope that I think if we set the same goal and we roll out technologies at scale, we can, we can deliver the same kinds of cost reduction. So on something like EVs, I'm optimistic that batteries will continue to improve as we roll them out at scale and that will actually mean it will probably be cheaper to own an, uh, an electric vehicle than it will be to, uh, to own an internal combustion engine. I mean, the complexity of them is massively simpler. There's, there's very few moving parts as opposed to an internal combustion engine, really complicated piece of engineering kit. Um, and so I think with all of these things, I am optimistic that if we can get them to scale, that we can hopefully get viable solutions that work for everybody and um and yeah and hopefully we can get to that future where we really genuinely have net zero homes um everywhere in the uk lovely lovely well thank you very much thank you very much for your answers today they've been really good it's, it's great to bring uh, different perspectives to a, a very very topical subject and things at the moment so i appreciate your your time today and, and thank you very much for for joining us on the call today thank you thank you to all our guests for your time today it's a great insight into how industry is leading the transition to a greener economy and the challenges the world is embracing during the drive to net zero. As a reminder, in the run-up to COP26 next November, we're launching this podcast series, The Drive to Net Zero. In each instance, we'll have notable speakers from across the energy industry talking about the very latest in legislation and thought leadership, whilst we explore all areas of decarbonising the economy and infrastructure. And we'd love to have you join us on that journey. So we look forward to you joining us on the next digital adventure, on our podcast focusing on smart buildings of the future and the role e-mobility will play in this sector. Thank you for listening.